0: amen you guys can go ahead and have a seat but you're beating me to that i love that how are you guys doing this morning oh man Somebody's doing great. How are you guys doing? (laughs) Awesome. Well, good morning. My name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the pastor here. And what an awesome time it is to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? And it's always a good day to be in the house of the Lord. And whether you are joining us in person or online, you are family here, whether this is your first time here or you've been here many, many times, you are loved here. And we're so thankful for the work of the Lord here and how he is moving in and through our midst. Jesus is building his church. Amen? That's not just the theme of our ministry year, but it's the reality of what God is doing here and we're so thankful for that we're so thankful that we can respond to him through worship as we sing through worship through his word through worship as we give and so thankful for y'all's faithfulness in that and thank you for continuing to do that and giving generously and would ask that you continue to do that as we get off to another month in june here um, but we also get to worship through working amen, amen. and uh, I just want to say on behalf of our, our, our staff on behalf of our, our elders thank you and we love you um, this past Tuesday night we had six about 60 of us that came out for a work night. And praise God, amen. That was awesome. Oh, we can do better than that. Praise God right, for all that he's doing. And if you just open, uh, just look around you, God is moving in a big way. So thank you so much for so many of you that came and sacrificed and gave generously of your time, your talent, your resources, um, whether you were painting, whether you were organizing, whether you were cleaning, whether you were watching kids, whether you were cooking some amazing meat that we got to consume. And who knew that blueberries and barbecue sauce was award-winning, but apparently it is. Shout out to Thomas Baker and and, uh, Veronica Watkins made the winning mac and cheese. So we like to have fun as we work. Amen. Because we're a family. And so praise God for that. But it was just, it's an amazing thing to see the, the people of God come together to work for God. Because while we want to steward this property and while we have the privilege of doing that, it's not really about the property it's about the people. It's about the people that God is impacting here because the church is not a property, it's a people. A church is not a facility, it's a family. And so just the relationships that are continuing to be formed as we serve the Lord together and work for God together. And so it was just a special, special time. And I just want you to know this is who we are as we take the gospel from the nations uh, to the nations and to the neighborhoods. And so this past Tuesday night, we got to work in our neighborhood, literally, like right here. And we currently have a team from Harvest in, in the nations, in Guatemala right now. So be praying. For Jeff Gottlieb and Austin Jewell and Russ Rowan, is there a way serving the Lord this week? And pray for their families and just that God would work in them and through them in a powerful way. And you know, the vision and the, that we have for our church is one mission, one church, one family. And so that's what we that's who we are. We don't want to just talk about it, we want to live it out. And if you want to hear more about that, and if you are newer to Harvest but want to really consider membership at Harvest, we have step two right after that so would love to have you and to, to share more about all that God is doing here. But I just, I'm just so thankful uh, to be one of your elders and to be one of your pastors and have the privilege to serve You, as we serve the Lord together, it's a blessing and an honor and a privilege. And uh, we have a beautiful family. We're not a perfect family, but we are pursuing family. We want to pursue the Lord together. And we're going to see today the reality that family, as we sort of, as Pastor Andrew so eloquently and did a great job last week talking about the reality of family, family's not always beautiful, is it? It can often be messy. And we're going to see that continue today and even go into deeper, into deeper depth today of the reality of what, the messiness of family, the messiness of the reality of our world. Because life is messy, is it not? Because we live in a sinful, broken world. We're going to see a man named Jacob who really embodies all of that. The messy circumstances around us are honestly reflective of the messy circumstances inside of us. It's the messy condition of our heart outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is is full of depravity and wickedness and sin. And we're going to see Jacob walk through messy circumstances around him that really reveal some of the messy circumstances inside of him. A a messy family struggles and, and he wrestles with devastating grief and family feuds, lying, deceiving, cheating, conniving, stealing, scheming all of those things. And they w- walk through the, the messiness of a fallen world, a famine, having to relocate, betrayal by those closest to you. And in and through it all, Jacob's going to learn one thing as we look at Hebrews eleven twenty one, 21, as we look at his life and trace it through Genesis, the two realities, messy faith, Jacob had a messy faith, merciful God. Messy faith, I'm going to knock this down 10 times. Messy faith, merciful God. The reality is, is I don't know how you walked in here with, but I'm guessing there's at least a part of you, if not much of you, that's messy. Messy of the brokenness of the world, or the uncertainty, or the anxiety, or just uh, just uh, looking, focusing on your past failures, focusing on your present circumstances, the uncertainty of the future. A pain around you at the workplace, pain with your extended family, pain just because of the fallenness and brokenness of this world. And I pray that you will see what we see in Jacob's heart and life at the end of his life when he reflects back on his life and he says, God is good, God is gracious, praise God for that in and through it all. Because that is the basis of our faith. So I'm not sure where you're on in your faith journey today, but Jacob's going to model for us a messy faith journey. Like journeys aren't, aren't clean and crisp all the time. It's messy. It's, he, he gets it wrong more than he gets it right. But in and through it all, God is faithful to him. In and through it all, God is gracious to him. In and through it all, God is good for him. And I pray that as we walk on our faith journeys, all of us in this room are on a faith journey, are we not? None of us have arrived yet. We all have a next step to take. That's the heart of the series. That we see that what Jacob saw, that the goodness and the grace of God can sustain us, and that fuels us to step forward with faith. We don't just um, just take our faith from our own strength, but we get our strength from the Lord. Faith is not focusing on the mess around us, but faith is choosing to acknowledge the reality of the mess inside of us and turning to and depending on the faithfulness, the grace, and the goodness of God to sustain us and to redeem us and to shepherd us, to restore us. Here's a big idea for today is that faith is learning to trust the goodness of God and rest in the grace of God in every season and situation. Faith is choosing to trust the goodness of God and rest in the grace of God in every season, in every situation. God is good, amen, even when life is hard. God is good, Amen. Even when life is painful, God is good even when circumstances are messy. God is good even when I screw up. God is good even when my family hurts me. God is good even when I sin. God is good as He redeems me. God is good as He lavishes His grace upon me. God is good. Praise God. Amen. Today, faith is choosing to understand the reality that our faith is contingent on God's goodness, not our goodness. I can't be good enough to have faith. Faith is just realizing God's goodness and anchoring my life in it and relying on it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we journey with Jacob to grow in our faith as we see a greater picture of who God is and respond in faith to that. Father, I just thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your grace and your goodness in our lives. I thank you that you are good when we are not, that you are good when our circumstances are not, that your grace is unending. And God, your grace is continually forgiving us, God, for when we fall short. And I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts as you open the eyes of Jacob's heart, that in and through it all, when we reflect back on our life, we see that you are good in it all. We see your hand of grace through it all. We see your providence that you have shepherded us, that you have redeemed us, and that you have pursued us in and through it all. Praise you, Jesus. And Jesus, we love you, and I just pray that we will grow in faith in you today as we get a bigger picture of who you are. Holy Spirit, silence me, and may you flow. May you do what you want to do. Speak the words that you want, and encourage and open our hearts, and dive deeper into who we are. Encourage us, exhort us, convict us, compel us. Make us more like you, Jesus, as we see a greater picture of who you are through your word. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're going to... Hebrews, uh, we're journeying through Hebrews 11, and what Hebrews 11 is really the story of faith, the story of the faithfulness of God with faithless people, the story of God building his people, and that which leads to God building his church in the New Testament. So he's building through his promises, which are going from person to person, generation to generation, he's building His for himself a people, which will ultimately in the New Testament through the life and death of Jesus, build Jesus's church. And so really, as we read Hebrews 11, it's like reading our ancestral spirit. Spiritual tree. It's actually pretty cool. All right, and I pray that you would just be drawn with encouragement through that, and we continue to see the promises and the blessings of God that flow from generation to generation. So turn with me, if you would. Uh, you're going to see it on the screen, so you don't have to turn. We're going to spend most of our time in Genesis, but here is Hebrews 11:21 as we look at Jacob today, as we go verse by verse through Hebrews 11. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And you might go, Pastor Dan, what's the big deal about that? This is a huge deal. Because this is a huge journey. And this is a huge significance and an example and a testimony to the faithfulness and the goodness and the grace of God. Jacob When he was dying, bent over his staff in worship, it says, blessing each of the sons of Joseph. When we last left Jacob, he was anything but a humble worshiper. This is a posture of humility, right? Bowing, worshiping, blessing. Last week when we saw saw Jacob, he was a conniving stealer. He stole the blessing. He stole it from his father with the help of his mother. And so we're gonna, he had, that happened at about the age of 70 in Jacob's life. Jacob dies at the age of 147, and he dies in Egypt. A lot has ha- happens in the 75-year gap between Genesis 28 and then Genesis 48, which is what Hebrews 11 is directly referring to. And we're going to look at that today because we're going to see the journey in order to understand the significance of the moment in Hebrews eleven twenty one, 21, we have to understand what has happened to lead up to this point, because it gives us a bigger picture of not just Jacob's brokenness, but God's deliverance. Not just of the circumstances around Jacob, but of the messiness inside of Jacob. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. And so if you're in, I don't know where you're at in your faith journey here, I just think that in the story of Jacob, I'm guessing you can find yourself And I want to encourage you with the reality that God's not done with you yet. God wasn't done with Jacob. God's not done with you. Jacob didn't get it perfect. Even as he had the blessing of God, he often rebelled directly against God. We're going to see that those character traits transfer to his children. We're going to see that Jacob came from a family of deceivers, his mother taught him how to deceive and encouraged him. How. He's going to show up at his, you know, and, and so in round one of, of the, the life of Jacob, the deceiver, okay, we have Jacob versus Esau. I like to call the Chronicles of Genesis 28 through 48 as the life of Jacob turns because it's like a soap opera. Like Days of Our Lives, As the World Turns has nothing on the life of Jacob, and this is true reality. And if Jacob versus Esau doesn't, isn't enough for you, well, let's go to the sequel, Jacob versus his uncle Laban. And if you want the full trilogy, Jacob versus his own sons, because we see the sin that is carrying from generation to generation, but there's hope in the name of the Lord because it's broken in the life of Jacob with Joseph. And we're going to see that today and even more so next week. So whatever there is, if there's a sinful pattern in your family history, I want to encourage you that through the power of the gospel of God today, you can be, can be broken. It can be broken. Whether it's deceit, whether it's alcoholism, whether it's an addiction, whether it's abuse, whether it's divorce—whatever it is—may you leave today with the reality of God. Help it to stop with me. And there's power in the name of Jesus, and we believe in that. So, before the Hatfields and the McCoys, well, there's the life of Jacob. So, we want to take a moment, more than a moment, honestly, to look at a little bit of a thirty-thousand-foot view of, of some. Old Testament survey, if you would, to understand what all has led up to this moment in Genesis 48 that Hebrews 11:21 21 is directly talking about so that we can understand the direct application of it and see the greatness and the grandeur of God. You guys ready? All right, buckle up, like buckle up because we're going to go. <laughs> all right, if you're ready, say let's go. All right, since you say let's go, let's go. All right, so we find with Jacob in 28, right? He's leaving. His, his mom says this. He says, Rebecca says, you got to go because literally your brother Esau wants to kill you. Like literally he wants to kill you. You stole his birthright. You stole the blessing. And you better get out of town because he's big, hairy, and he knows how to shoot things. So you got to run. And by the way, go to Paddan Aram where my brother lives, where Uncle Laban lives, where you will be safe. So Jacob takes off in 28. But before he gets to Paddan Aram with, with, with Laban, God meets him in the middle of the night. He meets him as Jacob lays down to sleep with a dream that you might call, that the Bible calls Jacob's ladder. You might be familiar with it, where he sees angels ascending and descending, and the Lord literally speaks to Jacob. And the Lord says, where you go, I will be with you, that I will bless you, and many peoples will come from you, and you will have all these lands where you are sleeping on. And even if you go away, I will be with you until you come back, until I fulfill my promises. What a promise of God, amen? And what a foreshadowing of what will happen in Jacob's life, the going and the coming, that God is with you, and God will fulfill his promises to us. Well, Jacob wakes up from that dream and goes, if God's gonna do all these things for me, you know what? I will serve him. Then I will serve him. There's something wrong with that, right? Jacob, throughout all of his life, the vast majority of his life was all about the blessing from God and not the blesser that is God. Is that you? He wanted the stuff from God. God, if you do this, it's a transactional relationship. It's a contingent relationship. If you bless me, if you give me the kid, if you get into the college, if you get anybody pray this prayer, God, if you get me out of this situation, then I'll go back to church, right? Right? If you give me money, then I'll tie. Like it, we have that inverted wrong. That's not worship. That's asking God to do things our way, prioritizing us. Worship is putting God above all. But that's where Jacob's at, and maybe that's where you're at right now. So he continues on his way to Pranan Aram, and he gets there. And on the way, before he meets Laban, he meets Laban's daughter, and you might say it's love at first sight he's all into Rachel. Now, Rachel's daughter number two of Laban, and so and Jacob goes to meet Uncle Laban, and, and he goes, Laban goes, you're family, right? So you're going to work here, but I want to give you something. I want you to I wanna pay you something. What do you want? And he goes, I want Rachel as my wife. And Laban goes, okay, if you work for seven years for me, guess what? I'll give Rachel to you, my daughter, as your wife. Jacob goes, sounds like a deal. So he works and works hard. Seven years later, Jacob goes, hey, Uncle Laban, time's up. Time for you to give me, fulfill your promise to me and give me Rachel as my wife. So they have a wedding and they have the wedding night. The marriage is physically consummated. He, Jacob wakes up in the morning and he looks at his wife and he goes, um, that's not Rachel. Because Laban had substituted daughter number one in Leah and now Jacob is married to Leah. Now, whole other question why Jacob, who was engaged to, connected to, infatuated with Rachel for seven years, didn't recognize it wasn't Leah till the morning. That's a whole different story for a different day. But Jacob is, is reasonably upset, right? He's ticked. He goes to Uncle Laban and said, what's the deal? And Laban goes, I couldn't marry off my younger daughter before my older daughter. And so he goes, I, I, Jacob was like, I want Rachel as my wife. And Laban goes, okay, I'll let you have her as your wife, wife number two at the end of this week if you promise to them work another seven years. Jacob goes, fine, right? So that happens. Jacob gets married. He literally has sister wives now. Now, they have a great relationship, right? Imagine Rachel and Leah. <laughs> Jacob is one who plays favorites his entire life. It's very, very clear that he favored Rachel, and so Rachel and Leah's relationship is contentious and it's bitter. It's really, really bitter. And to add, and, and to add, just injury into insult, Rachel could not have kids, but Leah could. So while Rachel is, uh, while Jacob is working off the, the labor, the seven years labor, Leah begins to pump out boys. And remember, in this culture, that, that is how the blessing was passed down. That's your identity to continue on the family name. Leah had six boys, at least one girl. And in the meantime, Leah goes, hey, if I'm not enough for you, have my maidservant Zilpah as your concubine. So Jacob goes, okay. Ding dong. Okay. And so he has two more boys through Zilpah. Rachel goes, I can't have kids, but have my, concubi- have my maidservant Bilhah as your, as your concubine. Jacob goes, okay. And so he has two more kids through Bilhah. Then God graciously opens Rachel's womb, and she has a son named Joseph And she continues to pray, God, would you grant me another son? And later in life, she has a younger son named Benjamin, and she actually, we'll see in a second, dies in childbirth. So now Jacob has 12 sons by four women, okay? That's not God's best. Let's just throw that out there right now. What's permissible is not always profitable, and that's just not God's best. told you, Jacob's life's messy. Messy. And so Jacob continues and, and he can and towards the end of his fourteen years now working with Laban, Jacob's like, "I want the best for myself that 's the sort of a pattern of jacob 's life i 'm working i 'm conniving i 'm scheming i 'm striving because I want the best for me, maybe is that you And so basically, he and Laban get into this back and forth a little bit about who can get the best cattle and who can give it the best livestock and so Jacob comes up with a scheme, you can read it more on your own, where he has some that are striped and spotted and net net he gets all the best, and he leaves Laban with the the riffraff. Laban's hired hands get word of it and get back to Laban. And Laban's ticked. And Jacob's like, I'm out of here. And he runs. Jacob has a pattern of running from his sin, running from his problems in his life. Is that you? So he begins to run. And by the way, while they're running out the door, you don't really move that fast with like Tons, I mean, dozens of kids at least, a couple of wives, concub- concubines, and a whole crew. While he's going, Rachel grabs her father's pagan idols and runs and steals them. So here you have a, fa- a founding father of the nation of Israel, one who God has given the blessing to build his kingdom, who is cheating and swindling his uncle and whose favorite wife is stealing pagan idols from her father to continue to worship them in the house of Jacob. <sighs> Say that's messy, right? That's messy, right? It's messy. They run. Jacob's scared that Laban's going to catch him. Laban actually catches him and they come up with this truce and the truce is literally like they draw a line in the sand like you would in your room. Like don't cross my half if you have a roommate in college, right? This is my half, that's your half. Or you have a brother or your sister that you share a room with. And so they come to a truce, but one of the things that's on Jacob's mind is he sort of comes back to Canaan is I'm going to have to face Esau. And he's really worried. He's anxious about that because last he left Esau, Esau literally wanted to kill him and honestly probably could. And so he's like, what's going to happen? So he comes up with a plan to put all these people as a buffer between him and because he, he's, he's not really a man's man. Like, he, he's hiding in the back. He's like, if Esau's mad, he's going to get all these, he's got to go through all these people before he gets to me. So the night before he meets Esau, God meets him in a dream, Genesis 32. And literally they wrestle. And, and Jacob is grabbing onto the Lord and they're wrestling, they're wrestling, they're wrestling. And at the end of that wrestling match, what does God do? He puts his finger on Jacob's hip and dislocates it, takes it from a socket. And then Jacob's, I'm not letting go till you bless me. Jacob's all about the blessing. He's all about what he can get from God. And God goes, okay, I'm going to change your name to Israel. Jacob meant deceiver. Israel means one who prevails with God. Not against God, but what? With God. So Jacob left with two things from his confrontation with the Lord. He left with a new name. And he left with a limp. Hence the staff. A constant reminder that God is sovereign and supreme over him physically and hopefully spiritually, but Jacob still doesn't get that message. Jacob walked with the limp for the rest of his life. I pray that you would allow the difficult situations of your life to put you into a posture of humility to remember and, and propel our dependency on God, that we can grow in our faith in him because we see that he is good and, and he is gracious in each and every one of our difficult situations. That's a lesson Jacob wouldn't learn to later in life. So Jacob meets Esau. There's actually reconciliation there. Esau loves him, kisses him, forgives him. Who in your life do you need to forgive today? Or who in your life have you been hesitating from confronting or, or coming back to that you have hurt, that you have sinned against, that today, like Jacob did with Esau, you need to trust the Lord and in humility approach them and ask for their forgiveness. That's a biblical thing to do. Trusting in God's goodness and grace, it's not contingent on the other person, but having the courage spiritually to face the sin of your past and to trust the one who covers that sin with his grace. So he meets Esau, and then we get into 35. Rachel gets, uh, they're maneuvering back to Canaan. Rachel gets pregnant with Benjamin, but tragically, Rachel dies in childbirth. Benjamin is born. Rachel passes away. Now Rachel, and then now Jacob leaves camp to go bury Rachel, now, while he is away, it's a little throwaway verse for some in verse 30, in chapter 35, but it's a very significant thing. Oldest son Reuben, the oldest son of, of born by Leah to Jacob, goes and has a physical encounter with Bilhah, the maidservant of Rachel, and the mother of some of, of all the mother of a couple of Reuben's brothers. Hey, that's messed up. It's messed up. Jacob hears about it, and this is going to be the reason that Reuben will lose the blessing that he was owed as the firstborn son. He's betrayed by his oldest son. I'll tell you, his life is messy and messed up. But God, Isaac, his father, dies in 35, and then we find him in 37. Now, the oldest son of his favorite wife. Was named Joseph. Jacob didn't hide his favorites. Chapter 37, verse 3, it literally says that he loved Joseph more than all of his other brothers. Father's Day is next week. Hope you join us. We can't wait to celebrate the work of the Lord in all of our lives and the lives of his dad, but man, Jacob will not win any Father of the Year awards. And he blatantly loved Joseph, not just in words, but in actions. He made him this Technicolor dream coat. It's in the Bible before it's on Broadway. Yes, the Broadway show has nothing really to do with, is not biblical in any way. But he makes him this vibrant coat to remind anybody that's paying attention that Joseph is his favorite. Joseph is 17, he has a couple of dreams, and he looks at his brothers, you can imagine the swagger, the cockiness, probably the pride that he has as a 17-year-old who knows he has his father's backing, he's like, hey guys, I've had two dreams recently, and both of them, bros, you and dad, they, you bow down to me, I don't know what they mean, I just know you're going to serve me one day, and yeah, just imagine how his older brothers felt about that, right? Yeah, they didn't like it. So one day while older brothers are off tending the flocks, a couple towns over, Jacob, Jacob sends Joseph to go check on him. Give me a report. And they see Joseph coming and they're like, here's that goody two shoes, prideful, whatever else you want to fill in the blank. They probably said beneath their breath or out loud. And here's our chance to get him. Dad's away. Let's get him. They wanted to literally kill him. Big brother Reuben steps in and he wants to sort of save the day. trying to save face with so dad. says, no, let's not kill him. Let's throw him in the pit. So they throw him in a pit. Reuben had this plan to be, be hero, come back later, get Joseph, and go back. But while Reuben had to tend to other matters, he leaves. The other brothers go, Hey, let's, there's a caravan of traders passing through on their way to Egypt. Let's, sold our, let's sell our brother to him. We can be rid of our problems. And guess what they did? That. They sold their brother into slavery. Then they go, well, we got to tell our dad something. Joseph left his coat there. They, well, they ripped it off of him. So they ripped it up a little bit. They tore it. They killed an animal, put animal blood on him. And they brought it, to, uh, they brought it back to Jacob and goes, look what happened, allowing Jacob to draw the conclusion that what? His oldest, uh, his oldest son of his most beloved wife, Rachel, his favorite kid had been killed by an animal and Jacob was broken. He's like, nothing can console me. Nothing can comfort me. I honestly wish I wasn't alive anymore. And maybe you're walking through a status of grief right now that you can relate to Jacob. But God was still good, even in that moment. Jacob is now in, uh, Jacob, uh, Joseph lands in Egypt, and actually God is with him. We're going to look more at that next week, but it's a vital part of this story. He lands in Egypt. He lands in the, in the household of Potiphar, who is a high-ranking official in the Egyptian government, and he begins to oversee all the household affairs. Jacob is a very, very gifted administrator. And so he oversees the, all the household affairs of the office of, of the household of Potiphar, and, and he ranks, rises up the rank, Potiphar has to go away on a business trip. while he's away, apparently with Jacob. Uh, Joseph, who's probably in his mid 20s at this time, is you know, was, was in a room with Potiphar's wife, and Potiphar's wife came on to Joseph and wanted to have a little bit of a fling with him, and Joseph ran away said, "No, I will not." Potiphar's wife was embarrassed and ticked. And when Potiphar came back, she framed him. And she actually said, he had made advances against me. And Joseph was thrown into jail, no trial, unjustly, unfairly. And he was left there. Text says God was with him there. God was good to him there. God is working his plan, even when we can't see it. Fast forward, Joseph meets two friends, a cupbearer and a baker. He interprets their dreams there. One of them dies through that interpretation, not because of Joseph's interpretation, but basically, hey, the cupbearer, I mean, the baker, it's not going to end well for you, and it didn't. The cupbearer did. And Joseph's like, hey, when you get out of here, remember me. The cupbearer went back into service of Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and guess what he did for Joseph? Nothing. He forgot Joseph. Until one day when Pharaoh had a dream and said, I can't interpret this dream. Anybody know how to interpret dreams? And the cupbearer goes, I know a guy. His name's Joseph. He's in jail. He interpreted a dream for me. And and so they say, Pharaoh summons Joseph and Joseph goes, I can't, but God can tell me your dream. And let's see what the Lord says. And he does. And here's the dream. Hey, seven years, we're going to have years of incredible blessing and plenty, but we need uh, for seven years of of just the grain, but we need to be careful because subsequent to that are going to come seven hard years of famine there's going to be a famine, not just in Egypt, but in the entire world. And so we need to put a plan into action to stow away this food, but also get it from the Egyptians. And, and there's a, a great elaborate plan that Joseph comes in, up with for how to store up this grain and, and then have the grain be traded for land and property. And basically, Pharaoh's like, okay, thank you for doing this, and let's have you execute this plan. So he appoints Joseph, the second most powerful man in all the world, the prime minister of Egypt, essentially, and says, execute the plan that you just told me, because obviously God's with you, and he will put his favor on you, and thus do it. So Joseph oversaw this incredible plan where Egypt's expansion happened. They gained land in exchange for food, and the power of Egypt rose to be the most powerful nation in all the world at that time through God using Joseph. Seven years of, of, of good far harvest happened, and then seven years of famine began, and the people began to starve from all over the world, including Jacob and his family living in Canaan. So, fast forward, Joseph is the second in charge. A couple years into the famine, Jacob goes, Hey, sons, it's a posture of humility, right? I need food. We need food in order to be able to eat. So they send his brothers to Egypt. Long story short, lots of things happen, two different trips back and forth. They get food and Joseph finally reveals himself to his brothers and says, I am your long lost brother. And his brothers are terrified that he's gonna enact vengeance on them, but he forgives them and he loves them and says, go and get dad and bring him back because I wanna care for him. I wanna see him and I wanna spend the rest of his days with him here in this place called Goshen that we have, that we can, you can live in. So in 46, the brothers go back and they tell Jacob, end of 45, 46, they tell, they tell jo- Jacob that Joseph is alive. Joseph, Jacob didn't believe it initially. And then God met him early in 46 and it says, yes, it's true. I want, I want you to trust me. Remember that promise I gave to you in 28? I will bring you back. I need you to go to Egypt right now. I need you to trust that, G- that Joseph will be the one to shut your eyes, meaning that he will be the one there at your death, that, which is something the firstborn son should do. It's foreshadowing. So Jacob goes, okay, God, and they, and they go, and in 46, you see this beautiful reunion between Jacob and Joseph. God is good, even when we're not. God is working, even, even in the middle of a famine. His grace is amazing. And so and then in 47, we come, and we see this land as, Joseph, as Jacob's family gets settled in Goshen, and Jacob arranges for this meeting with Pharaoh and Jacob. We see this interesting interchange in chapter 47 of Genesis, As as, as Pharaoh goes in verse eight, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130. He's like, I'm 130 years old. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my father's and the days of their sojourning. Few and evil. The word evil there can be translated misery. Jacob is like, my life is a mess. My life has been miserable. He has the blessing of God. He has God saying, I will do this through you and with you. But he's going, my life has been a mess. It's been misery. And maybe you can relate to that. Jacob then spends 17 more years living in Egypt. Isn't it pretty cool though that his bookending joke Joseph was 17 years with Jacob before he was sold into slavery, so he got 17 years on the front end, and now he gets 17 years on the back end. Jacob and Joseph together in Egypt, the final 17 years of Jacob's life. Fast forward to 48, which is where Hebrews 11 is is referring to 21, and we see this scene. Jacob is 147, approximately years old, is right before he dies. And it says this. After this, Joseph was told, "Behold, your father is ill." This is verse one of forty-eight. We're going to work through forty-eight now. And so he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Joseph had gotten married in Egypt. These are his two boys, are probably adolescent age right now, and it was told to Jacob, "Your son Joseph has come to you." Then Israel, that's that's Jacob's new name, has summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He's referring back to chapter 28. He's referring back to the, 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 the vision, the dream that he had in Jacob's ladder. And he said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply. And I will make you a company of peoples and will give you this land to your offspring and to you for an everlasting possession." And Jacob goes, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. So pause right here. What's happening right here is very, very significant. What he's saying is he is practically Jacob adopting Manasseh and Ephraim, his grandsons, into his family into the inheritance. They are going to get a portion of the land in Canaan as if they were his sons. They are going to replace Simeon and Levi because one of the things we didn't talk about was in 34, Simeon and Levi led a vengeful, bloody massacre raid after their sister Dinah had been sexually assaulted of a nearby town. Simeon later gets absorbed by the tribe of Judah. Levites are scattered. They don't have land of their own. They're scattered in multiple cities. But Manasseh, And Ephraim gets portions of the inheritance from Jacob. They're being adopted as sons by Jacob. Significant. As for me, when I came from Paranaram to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. I'm grieving Rachel. And it still grieves me that he makes no mention of Leah. Where there was still some distance to go to Ephraim. then I buried her there on the way to Ephraim. That is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, whose are these? And Joseph said to his father, these are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age. He had poor eyesight like Isaac. It runs in the family so that he could not see. So Joseph brought him near and he kissed him. And Israel said to Joseph, verse 11, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. That's God's grace, amen? It's his goodness. I thought you were dead. But man, sometimes what we think is dead, God's, just, God's doing a work. He's not done. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself to the face of the earth and Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, the left hand was to give the lesser blessing of Jacob. The right hand was to give the greater blessing. And Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them out. But Israel stretched out his right hand. He crosses over here and laid it on the hand of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the hand of Manasseh, crossing his hands for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph, but by blessing Joseph, he is blessing actually his grandsons. He's blessing Joseph right here. What he's doing is he's installing Joseph as the essentially the firstborn son to take place the place of Reuben. He's going to give Joseph a double blessing as was the case for firstborn sons. And here's a blessing. We're going to anchor in this in a second because it's beautiful and it's powerful and it brought me to my knees this week. But the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Much more in that in a split second. But then Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on Ephraim and it displeased him. So he looked at looked. To to take his father's hand and move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. And he said, and I know my son, I know my son, I know. He shall also become a great people. He's talking about the older son who's going to get the minority of the blessing, Manasseh, and he shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. And so he blessed him and said, by you, Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. And then he put Ephraim before Manasseh, and then Israel said to Joseph, behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your father's Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope, and I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. He's carrying on the reality that while you're in Egypt, God will bring you back to Canaan. It's that promise in 28. And he's saying here, I I know something about the younger being more just given a blessing than the older. And what's beautiful here is what's happening is that Jacob is instilling Ephraim, the tribe of Ephraim, as the leaders of the nation of Israel for the moment. And you know what? The tribe of Ephraim absolutely leads the nation of Israel into the promised land. You know who was an Ephraimite? Joshua. Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land. He was from the tribe of Ephraim. Now later, Ephraim would sin and God would transfer the blessing of the leadership of the nation of Israel or how the salvation would come from the tribe of Ephraim to Judah of which King David comes and eventually Jesus comes. But there's a beautiful thing happening right here. And he, he's giving the blessing to Joseph. But he's admitting in chapter before that my life is a mess. But here he's, he's saying, as I've reflected since I've been in Egypt over the last 17 years, I can now see clearly. He cannot see physically, but he sees clearly how God was at work in his mess. And I want to encourage you with this beautiful reality that these realizations that, Joseph, that Jacob experienced, they lead to his his resolutions to live with faith, of faith. So these two realizations that he proclaims in verse 15 and 16 of his blessing lead to the resolution of faith that Hebrews 11:21 21 commends him for. And I pray that these realizations will become alive for you right now and right here, and that they would lead to resolutions of faith in your life as well. The first realization of this, you'll see it on the notes and you'll see it on the screen, is that in my mess, God is my shepherd. Look with me at verse 15 of chapter 48. This is his blessing. But remember, the guy who is yearning for the blesser more than the, the blessing more than the blesser, he has totally done a 180 here. God has changed his heart because when you get to know God's grace and goodness, it is life-transforming. It changes everything. The God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walk. And look at this right here. The God who has been my what? Shepherd. Now what's the next word in your Bible? All. All my life long to this day. God has been my shepherd all my life. When I was on the run, God was my shepherd. When I cheated Laban, God was my shepherd. When I played favorites with my spouses, God was my shepherd. When my brother, my sons just had bloody vengeance, God was my shepherd. When my sons sold out my favorite son, God was my shepherd. And that same God, who is a shepherd of Jacob, is a shepherd for you too. The the shepherding is a huge theme throughout all of scripture. To shepherd physically is is the same thing to shepherd physically. To shepherd physically and spiritually means that you're leading sheep. You're protecting, you're feeding, you're guiding. And that's the same thing that God is doing for Jacob. Jacob was like, eh, all on the way, I can now see, God, that you are feeding me your promises. That you are guiding every step of the way, that you're sovereign over every single situation. That you're leading me. You're leading me in the way that you have me go. That you're caring for me, that you're providing for me. I don't have to try to do it on my own anymore because I now see that the Lord, that God is my shepherd all my days. And it took Jacob 147 years to get it. I pray that you would get it right now. That the same God who is always pursuing Jacob is pursuing you right now. The same God that lives in 99 to go pursue the one is pursuing you. So what does it look like for the Lord to shepherd? Well, there's a beautiful passage in scripture that many of you are probably all familiar with. It's called Psalm 23, right? This is what it says and how it defines, what it describes what it looks like David does for the Lord to shepherd. David writes this, and I pray that you would take some time this week to meditate, not just like, oh, I've heard Psalm 23, blah, 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 but sit in it. Sit in the truth of who God is. See his goodness and his grace. Slow down and layer this Psalm over your life, over the disappointments, over the victories, over the great days and the highest highs and the lowest lows because this will help you to see the beauty and the reality of the goodness and the grace of God because the same heart and character of God that is shepherding Jacob is the same heart and character of the God that's shepherding us right now, amen? So Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Just a posture of humility because by David saying that the Lord is my shepherd, guess what he is? He's a sheep. We're all a sheep, back a song. But sheep historically are smelly, stinky, stubborn, and hard to lead. That's me. Anybody else got that? You know, right? But God, I shall not want. God's going to provide. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Do you see that? He makes. Like sometimes he needs to forcibly make us sit. Sometimes we, the, the what we think green pasture is over there, God's like, no, it's right here. You need to sit in it. You need to water it and to it. He leads me beside still waters. Praise God for that. He restores my soul. See, all throughout this psalm, what you see is this. You see David describing seasons of life, still waters, green pastures, and God is restoring him. You can't be restored by anything, by anything other than God spiritually, ultimately. But the seasons don't stop there. Continue reading. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. For whose name's sake? God's. God's concerned about his name, not your name. So God will allow and ordain things in his life, in our lives, so that his name might be glorified through tragedy, through difficulty, Through his sovereignty. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It's going to happen. I don't know if you're in the valley right now, but it's it's for all of us. We live in a broken, sinful, messy, miserable world, don't we? But God is powerful and he's good. Even though I walk. Your rod, I will fear no evil for who? You are with me. That's what God's promising Jacob the entire time. I will be with you. I will bring you back. I will fulfill my promises. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I can lean on them, I can lean into it. It guides me. And here's the beauty about the dark shadow of the night. It's a passing through. It's not a final destination. Amen? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't deny the existence of enemies. It says God is good in the presence of my enemies. That he's always working. He's always preparing. You anoint my head with oil. It's a, some commentators will say it's a reference to the Holy Spirit. My cup overflows with what? Surely goodness and mercy. God will always give you more than enough of his goodness and his grace and his mercy. Praise God. All the days of my life, God is good, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That we can look forward to eternity with God. God the Father is not the only Shepherd referred to in Scripture. God the Son is also our Shepherd. This is read John ten this week. I would encourage you a lot to meditate on Psalm twenty three and John ten this week. Jesus describes Himself this way: He says, "The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly." I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Isn't that awesome? He lays down his life for the sheep. Read, that, read more of that to find the greater context. We will fight, face earthly difficulty and misery, but no fear because God is with me. He leads, he protects, he feeds, and he guides, and he's doing that for you, whatever you're walking through right here. That's, that's what Jacob learned, and that's what he's proclaiming. Will you trust in that? So how do I follow God's shepherding? I listen to God's leading of me. I slow down and I seek his leading. Ask God, what do you want me to do so that you might be glorified? What decision do you want me to make? How do you want me to use my time, my money, my resources, my influence, my calendar? And then two, look to God's word to feed me. A shepherd feeds. How does he feed us? He feeds us with his word. Get into the word. Spiritually. Where are you looking to be fed? Social media? Netflix? Your favorite cable news station? No, get into the word. What goes into you comes out of you. Get into God's word. Feast and see that the Lord is good. Jeremiah 15, 16. Delight in it. Desire it. Lean on like a staff. God's promise is in his power. He will comfort you as you walk through the dark valley of the shadow of death. He will lead you through. You can lean on him and let God guide you. It's a posture of humility. Jacob walked with a limp and he didn't realize what that meant till the end of his life. Will you humble yourself before the Lord today? Will you look back and see that the Lord has been your good shepherd this week in every single one of your situations? He's been good and he's been gracious. Will you look up and will you give him the praise and the thanksgiving for that? And then, when you look forward, that allows you to look forward with confidence in the character of God and the goodness of God. The second realization that Jacob comes to here is this God is not just my shepherd, but God is my redeemer. Look at verse 16. The angel who has what? Redeemed me from what? All evil. And I love the next three words, bless the boys. It's like, grandsons, I want you to know one thing. Before I die, I want you to know that God is your redeemer. I want you to know the most important thing I could ever tell you, that God is your shepherd and that God is your redeemer. And it doesn't just redeem you from something. The text teaches us right here. He redeems us from all evil, all sin, sin. All goodness, all grace. The angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Like just meditate on that this week. That God is my redeemer. He's my redeemer. Angel there refers to God and it looks forward to Christ. Jacob has been given a new name by God. He's no longer Jacob, he's Israel. And you and I have been given a new name by God when we put our faith in Him. Jacob has changed. Jacob, God has Jacob J, changed Jacob's name, and now we see that God has changed Jacob's heart. It's the power of the gospel, Amen. It, it can take. It can soften the hardest heart. It can break through the coldest spirit. God changes everything. This is the first word in all time in all the Scripture that the word "redeemed" is used. Redeem means to be, bought, to be bought back, to ransom. Theologically, it's what Jesus did for us on the cross. When we couldn't pay the price for our own sins, that every single sin that we committed required a death penalty, a perfect sacrifice. That By the way, newsflash, we're not perfect, are we? But Jesus lived a perfect life as a son of God. He came from heaven to God, died our death on the cross to redeem us, to buy us back, to cover every single sin that you have ever committed. Praise God. That is what Jacob is talking about here. So how do we experience, what are some identity shifts as we grasp this, these realizations that we can implement in our life and that we can drop anchor to, that we can put faith in that are happened as we are changed by the grace of God. Here are five different ones that happen in Jacob's life. And I pray that would be true of you today. The first is this, God moves Jacob through his grace from deceiver to dependent. Jacob was born a deceiver. Literally, he ran in the family and he deceived his brother, he deceived his father, he deceived his uncle, and God made him to the point of to be dependent, but here's, you know who the person, the biggest, the one that Jacob deceived was? Himself. He was so deceived that he thought he had to scheme and he had to hustle, he had to earn the blessing, he had to steal the blessing, he had to get the highest, but his greatest problem was not the mess that was around him, but it was the mess that was inside of him, his sin. And when he realized that, which is what he is expressing in this text right here, everything changed. Again, we see him at the end of his life, bent over the staff that resembled the reality that God put him in a posture of submission because he loved him. And he began to worship by blessing. The greatest blessing, you know, what's happening? Don't miss the reality of what he's giving first to his grandsons. He's not giving the land; he's giving the Lord. God had done a work in his heart. He's like sons: be, be dependent. He's your shepherd. You can, you can depend on him. Faith literally means to put your full weight on. Where in your life today are you not? Are you holding back? You're not putting your full weight on the Lord and your family, and your finances, and your workplace second shift that happened is Jacob went from scheming to surrendering all his life he was scheming how can I get the greatest cattle and the livestock from labor because he thought to advance up the social ladder to get more stuff to have more in his portfolio that would be success that would give him peace that would give him an identity and he was miserable he told Pharaoh that right he got the cattle he got his favorite wife he got all the stuff but he still had misery and what are you scheming to get right now? It's going to leave, that isn't Jesus. It's going to leave you empty. You can get all the accolades you want. You can have all the career advancement you want. You can have all the money you want. But if you don't have Jesus, you're going to be miserable, just like Jacob said he was when he met with Pharaoh. But Jacob is now surrendering. He's bowing over Hebrews 11:21. He's bowing over the staff in worship. That's surrender. From scheming to surrendering. I was talking to one of our kids recently and I said, what is God teaching you this week? And this kid said the most profound thing. He said, he's teaching me that I'm not enough. Now, this child has had some disappointments recently, but he said, I'm not enough, but God is. It's not enough if I, Get into this club or get the role on a team. I'll never earn it. I'll never if I or if I don't get in or if I don't get the grade or if I don't get it. But but I'm learning. It's hard, but God is enough. That I'm not enough. I can't fulfill myself. I can't strive hard enough. I can't scheme fast enough. I'm learning that I'm not enough, and maybe that's where you are today. From running to redeemed, Jacob was born to run, and I'm not talking about Springsteen. He ran from all his problems and conflict. He ran from Esau. Yeah, my, my in-laws my parents are from Jersey. He ran from all he ran from all his problems. He ran from Esau, he ran from Laban. But more than that, he was running from God. He just didn't realize that yet. Here's the thing about running. You can't run from your biggest problem because you just take your biggest problem with you. It's inside you, right? You can move jobs, you can move locations, you can move go from one spouse to another, you can go from one relationship to another. It does not solve the sin problem in your heart. Now, sometimes God wants you to move to a different state, take a different job. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when you're trying to run from something like Jacob was. He was running from Esau, he was running from Laban. More than anything, he was running from God. But God never gave up. He pursued Jacob just like the shepherd does. He leaves the 99 to get the one. And some of you, all of us right now, God's pursuing you right now. He wants all of you, not just some of you. Where are you running from God right now that you need to anchor in and you need to surrender? Because when you surrender, you become redeemed. You allow Jesus to cover your price and to give you the greatest inheritance and reward that you could ever get. Jacob says, I am redeemed. I'm not running anymore. I'm living in Egypt. I'm living in a foreign country. My, a lot of my wealth has been gone, taken by the famine. I'm not putting my identity in that stuff anymore. I'm redeemed. I am not putting my identity in the Savior. Where do you need to do that right now in your life? He went from haughty to humble. He was pride-filled. God humbled him. God will either You will humble yourself or God will humble you. That's scripture. Because he loves you. Jacob's heart went from desiring what I can get from God to delighting in who I am in God. May you make that shift today too. And he went from wrestling with God to worshiping God. When I grasped the reality of God's redemption, man, my only real response should be adoration, right? That's why Jacob's worshiping at the end of his life. He's worshiping as he's giving this, because he has finally come to understand who God is. He's been my shepherd all of my life, all, not some of it. He's been my redeemer from all of my sin. He's been faithful. I can look back and see the goodness of God. I can look back and see the grace of God. And grandsons, I want you to know more than anything, more than the land, more than the promise that we will get from God in terms of the great nation. I want you to see the great savior. I want you to see the great Lord. And God wants that for you too today. you bow with me in a word of prayer before we pray I just want to have a time of just reflection where in your life do you need to recognize and to surrender to the leading of God as your shepherd You need to let him feed you you need to let him lead you you need to let him care for you whether you are in a green pasture or in a dark valley the Lord is your shepherd and you shall not want where have you been looking for other things to fulfill you you've been scheming deceiving running and today you just need to sit at the feet of Jesus and repent and rest trusting in his goodness and resting in his grace. Today, where do you need to allow God to redeem you? Maybe for the first time, and maybe you've been wrestling with your faith, and tonight is a day that you go, God, I want to, I will put my faith in you. I, I don't even totally know what that, I just i just want you. I want that love. I want you, I want you. I, I'm dumb trying to do it myself, and I need you. Maybe there's an area of your life and you have a relationship with the Lord, but man, you've been allowing this sin to have a hold on you or the guilt or the shame to cover you. Today, friends, with the reality, I want you to see from this text that Jesus is your redeemer from all of your sin, not just some of it, and that God's grace covers your guilt and that his mercy is more than your biggest mess up and that you can just come to him and rest as you trust in him that's faith so as Amy continues to play would you just ask the Holy Spirit to help you have the power to surrender to God as your shepherd and God as your redeemer and see what next step the Lord reveals in your heart, and then take it. you're here and you've never had a relationship with the Lord or you're wondering about that, nothing would give me greater joy at all than to pray with you or Pastor Pastor Andrew would love to or some of other leaders after the service. Just come on down. Don't wait. God is working. We're seeing salvations happen in this church because God is good and his grace is enough. He is our shepherd and he is our redeemer. Father, we love you and we just ask right now for forgiveness for far too often. Being unwilling to be shepherded by you, allowing our pride, our pursuits of the world, our false identities that we place in bank accounts and job descriptions, social media impact, family dynamics to supersede the reality of the victory of Jesus Christ on the cross. That in you and through you, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That there's power in the name of Jesus because there is redemption through the name of Jesus. And God today, like Jacob at the end of his life, help us to lean on our staff, on your staff, with the reality and a posture of humility that you're sufficient, your grace is enough. It's enough to save us, it's enough to sustain us, it's enough to strengthen us, it's enough to supply every single one of our needs. And help us to find great joy in that. Thank you that in every single moment of our life, you have been good, Father God. Even the really hard ones and the really painful ones, you are good. You're good in the famine you brought a family reunion. You're good in the relocation because you expanded your kingdom. You're good and you're gracious. Thank you, Jesus. And we love you. In your name we pray, amen.